Well, welcome back, everyone, to the White Tail Theories podcast. Continuing our turkey series, we have Mr. Jason Hart, owner of Nomad Outdoors, joining us on the podcast today. How are you, Mr. Hart? I am doing just fine. Greetings from my pickup truck, leaving the great state of Florida, and I'm heading back home after a fun opening weekend down in South Florida, the first opening weekend in the lower 48. United States for the for the wild turkey in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's Florida is one of those unique places based on habitat and when their season opens. Uh, there's there's a lot that's really unique about Florida, and we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. But uh, for the listeners that maybe haven't heard the podcast that we've done in the past, this is your I think your third time getting on the the podcast, but. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of your background in turkey hunting? Sure. Well, my name is Jason Hart. I'm the co-founder and general manager of Nomad with Maryland Outdoor Incorporated. We've got a brand, the, the Nomad hunting brand and a, and a fishing brand called Hook Performance Fishing. And, uh, and yeah, I like to turkey hunt. I like turkey hunt a lot. I've uh, I harvested my first turkeys all the way back in 1995. When I was a senior in high school and went on to Clemson University, majored in wildlife biology. And during that time, I thought I wanted to be a wild turkey biologist. And uh, unfortunately, my mathematics uh, brain wasn't quite good enough to take that to another level. And so I got in the hunting and fishing outdoor business and uh, started in sales. And uh, I've worked for various companies over the years, such as, such as Avery Outdoors and the Quality Deer Management Association. Uh, Under Armour Outdoor, Mossy Oak, before we started hooking Nomad brands. But ultimately, uh, turkey hunting has, has really led my career path and uh, and has made a lot of friends and really kind of what I'm known for, first and foremost. I like to be known as a turkey hunter. And, um, I've been fortunate to, uh, to be able to turkey hunt in every single state in the United States and Canada and Mexico and been fortunate enough to get lucky and harvest one of every subspecies and the the six species, the oscillated down in Mexico. So I like turkey hunting. I like turkey hunting an awful lot. Every springtime, I do my best to try to play as much hooky away from work as I can to get in the turkey woods. And now is the time. And so I'm talking to you on a on a Monday morning, and I'm I should be in my office right now, but I'm running a little bit late. Uh, getting back, getting back from all my, uh, getting back from uh, the the fun turkey camp I was in, hanging out with all my good friends at Osceola Outdoors, and they're opening weekend crews been coming down about the same guys for about the last 10 years so it's kind of like a family reunion opening weekend in south florida every year i sure hate i'm leaving yeah i can imagine uh also i hear uh florida's been getting some pretty crazy weather it's been like 90 degrees down there for the past couple days yeah man it's hot i'll tell you right now i'm driving like i said i I, i've been staying in a lodge about two hours south of orlando and I've been hunting about two hours south of Orlando, and I'm driving through Orlando right now. It's 87 degrees, so yeah, it's been a, and it's always hot that time of year. I mean, truthfully, uh, there's been seasons where, you know, uh, and but this, it, uh, you know, we got out and it was, uh, it was, it was nice weather. I mean, it would warm up to about 90 degrees in the middle of the day, but the mornings were down in the 70s, and it was really pleasant. So. Uh, I wouldn't say it's unseasonably warm for Florida. It's probably probably about average, but but definitely the the uh, the turkeys are getting getting right now. Uh, there was a lot of success in South Florida this weekend, and the, the particular ranch I hunted, I don't think the turkeys were quite right. Meaning they were still uh, they were still in some you know the jakes and the gobblers were hanging out, but they weren't quite not quite in full full blown breeding mode yet i think that the gobblers were ready the pins weren't quite ready but uh but regardless we had some we had some some tough hunts we hunted really hard for the most part of two days with uh, several friends but I, I got lucky and uh i got lucky and had a long beard come in with three jakes silent and uh got fortunate enough to shoot them so started off the season with a bang no pun wow. intended <laughs> nice uh so I guess before we get rolling down uh, kind of the meat and potatoes of the podcast, I, I do the 10-year question, and 
you're kind of one of uh, the unique guests that you are <clears throat> obviously very, very involved in turkey hunting and then also your business savvy and, and all your experience there. What are, what, what is something that you wish you knew about turkey hunting or something about the turkey hunting world that you know now that you wish you would have known 10 years ago? And then the same question applies in the business aspect of outdoor business. Man, that's a pretty tough question. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. You know, off the top of my head, 10 years ago, I was probably a little less patient of a turkey hunter than I am now. And 10 years ago, I think I called to the turkeys a little too much. Um, you know, I was obviously a very well-experienced turkey hunter by the time I was 34 years old, which was 10 years ago. And I had already uh, taken multiple grand slams, but but in turkey hunting, you can always get better and you can always learn a little more. And 10 years ago, I didn't understand so much what how calling on the roost to a turkey. You know, I... I used to do a tree call and a fly down tackle and to probably every single turkey I hunted. And, you know, when, when they say in, in, in biology and until you see witnesses firsthand and you actually can look at a long beard in a tree and watch him gobble. And when you wait for a hen to get under the tree until he saw the hen and she walked directly under the tree to fly down, do I realize now the error in my ways as a younger man turkey hunting? So I would say my biggest advice and very least the biggest tip that I wish I'd known 10 years ago was, was hunting a bird off the roost and calling to them while they're on the roost. I do my best not to do that now. Um, there might be a time I might tree call or fly down tackle, but um, really my, my strategy at daylight is let the turkeys wake up and do what they're going to do. And then you make a move after they're on the ground. And when they're on the ground, you're on the ground too. Because if you think of it, if you're sitting 60 yards from a turkey and you're making soft yelps, it sounds like a tree call. That turkey knows that you're not in a tree. He knows you're on the ground. So that throws it off a little bit, I think. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't work occasionally, but I don't think it's a very high percentage tactic uh, as far as I'm concerned. So. I would definitely say that was one thing that I would, uh, you know, that I know now. And from a business aspect, that that question's very broad. There's a lot of things I wish I'd have known 10 years ago from business, but business is always changing. And I've learned a tremendous amount. 10 years ago, I'd mainly been focused in my career on sales and a little bit of marketing. And in the last 10 years, I've had to learn an awful lot about about sourcing, about product development, about timing, about shipping, about um, margins, about a lot of different things that I didn't quite understand because I was never forced to with the companies that I worked for. And then uh, as, as I've uh, you know, become an executive with Marilina and Hook and Nomad, I've had to learn a lot, a lot more of all aspects of the business. And although my, my primary focus on the business side is sales and selling to wholesale retailers now i have a lot more knowledge and a lot more experience and a lot uh, you know a lot, just a lot a lot more uh, background that when our product doesn't show up i can let the customers know why or when the product's late i can let them know why 10 years ago i just thought if i wrote an order and put it in the system it was supposed to magically show up from some crazy country and get to my dealers stores with no hiccups and as COVID has taught us all that there's a lot of issues with the global supply chain going on right now. And we're having to change and adapt our business and everybody's having to change and adapt their business to the new climate of, uh, of, you know, really international supply chain. And it's, uh, it's, it's a lot tougher than it was 10 years ago. So in some ways, and it's, but it's a lot, uh, some ways are a lot easier. Technology is, technology and the way we communicate via email and text and social media and you know things of uh, technology is a lot better than it was 10 years ago so i don't know if i answered that quite the right way but you know there's long story short there's a there's a lot of things i've learned in the last 10 years and uh 
and I learned a lot of different things in the last 10 years, which he could, uh, which I have, I can utilize this day, which I wish I'd have known in many different categories in work, in hunting, and in just general life. No, I, I think you answered that question perfectly. And kind of to just piggyback off of what you're saying here, you can almost relate both turkey hunting and the aspects of business hand in hand and then translate that over into your personal life. Always learning something new, always being adaptable is what's going to make you successful in the grand scheme of basically all things. And show it like you basically just went through and, and defined that in both business and turkey hunting. I, I think that was a great answer. Yeah, well, you know, I, I was getting, we had a, we had a pretty cool film crew with us doing a documentary on the, on the Osceola wild turkey. And, uh, anyway, he asked me about my experience in turkey hunting and why I like the turkey hunt so much. And I quoted one of my favorite authors of all time, the late Archibald Rutledge, who at one time was the poet laureate for the state of South Carolina. And, um, and he, he also was one of the first outdoor writers to really write about the wild turkey. And in the, I want to say in the 1950s or 1960s, maybe 70s, it was, it was sometime in the 19 something. He, he wrote an, he wrote, he wrote a, wrote a, a chapter in one of his books about his 339th gobbler. And, and there was a quote that I'm not, I may not be quoting it exactly right, but you'll get the understanding of it. Old, old Archibald Rutledge wrote that. After he had harvested his 339th gobbler in his education of becoming a turkey hunter, he felt he didn't feel like he'd earned his master's degree or his doctorate in turkey hunting yet. He felt like he had only gotten through kindergarten. And that's the same way I feel. I, I learned so much about turkeys every time I go. I learned something this weekend that I'd never known. Uh, uh, looking at, a, I, have, I was hunting in a, in a cypress swamp down near Palmdale, Florida, and just a gorgeous cypress swamp full of fern, four, excuse me, full of uh, ferns, full of cypress knees, full of big cypress trees. And I've called up several hens on Saturday, and these hens would walk in these cypress knees, and I noticed that when they stood still, the colors of their feathers matched the colors of these cypress knees perfect. And the colorations in their head the grayish blue matched the the colors of these bald cypress knees. And literally when one of those Osceola wild turkeys stood still in the cypress swamp, literally you could it was very difficult to pick out her from the cypress knees. And anyhow, that, that's something I'd never noticed in the past. But maybe, you know, these these turkeys and these cypress trees have been around for millions of years down there. And maybe maybe that's part of the evolution and the camouflage of the turkey. Is looking like a cypress knee. It, it really just blew my mind. And I've, I've been turkey hunting down in Florida and turkey hunting in that type of terrain for 22 years, and it didn't hit me until this weekend. So, you know, little things like that are, are just different things that you can pick up and learn while turkey hunting. And I was on a turkey hunt down in Florida uh, two years ago with my brother-in-law, Mike Moreland. And we set up, and a bird started drumming really close to us that morning. And there was a there was a long beard Osceola in a pine tree, 17 yards from where we set up, and he was about 15 feet in that tree. And that bird drummed and gobbled all morning, and we heard one lone hen calling to him way off. And he just looked in her direction, and he waited and waited and waited and waited in that tree until that hen literally walked underneath the tree and walked out into an open pasture. And then he pitched down to join her. And that right there was something that if I'd have, if I would have seen that, that if I would have seen that hunt early in my turkey hunting career, I would have been very different on how I called a, to a long beard on the limb. Literally, I watched that bird wait until the hen passed underneath him. And that's how turkeys act in nature. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's best you learn a lot more turkey hunting by just observe, obs observing and seeing how these turkeys react and, and being part of their environment and you know not making a sound and trying to be camouflaged and just observing you can learn an awful lot as opposed to trying to burn down the woods with a box call or running out of breath blowing on a diaphragm call in your mouth so uh you know just that has made me a lot more 
patient and a lot more of a quiet turkey hunter as opposed to everybody likes to hear a turkey gobble and you get a turkey to gobble by calling to them. And I was listening to a recent podcast, a gamekeeper podcast with George Mayfield, a gentleman from Alabama who I've never met, but he's obviously somewhat of a turkey hunting legend in that area. And, you know, he made a really good statement that I'd never thought of, but he said, you know, if you cut at that bird, you're going to get him to gobble. But is your, are you, is your, the purpose of your hunt trying to get a gobble or trying to kill that turkey? If you're trying to kill that turkey, sometimes you just need to shut up and listen to what he's doing and what he's trying to communicate to his hens. So if, there, if you ever get a chance to listen to that Gamekeeper podcast with George Mayfield, he's been on it twice, and this one was part two. And pretty fascinating, uh, pretty fascinating strategies that, that the gentleman uh, uh, brought out. But that's the thing about turkey hunting is, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm now killed – I think, to my knowledge, basically because I keep spreadsheets, the, the turkey that's riding back with me to South Carolina is my 191st that I've killed. And with that being said, I try to remain as humble as I can and soak up as much because turkey hunting can be very humbling. And the, the more you know, the more that you can learn and by just sitting back and keeping an open mind when it comes to it. For sure. And I think... <clears throat> One of the unique things about turkey hunting that I think makes it different than everything else is kind of how the seasons are laid out, uh, which we'll get into this right now, I guess, with uh, our turkey traveling segment. If you don't really hunt other states or hunt multiple states, your season is really limited. So like kind of with what you said, where you have a you have a short window to kind of collect that information when you're just out in the turkey woods, right? Unless you extend your season, how are you how are you gathering that more turkey experience? How are you gathering that knowledge uh, to build to your repertoire? Whereas uh, a person like you that hunts multiple states, uh, you're able to see those interactions. You're able to see that turkey biology, ecology, and what makes them tick, and then add that to your your hunting repertoire. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a good point. I. Uh, you know, uh, I've been very fortunate that I do get to travel and I have, I have turkey hunting in every state. Um, but sometimes, you know, uh, uh, things that I've learned in other states really help me out when I'm back on in my home turf in South Carolina, which I will make a point and get somewhat off subject out of all the, the states that I've hunted. I would rank South Carolina as probably one of the three toughest states to kill a turkey anywhere in the United States. But that's, that's beside the point. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's obviously time in the woods is you know you can you can listen to podcasts, you can read magazines, and you can watch hunting videos, and get on YouTube as much as you want. But when it comes down to it, if you want to make yourself a better turkey hunter, there's only one way to do that. And that's get down in the trenches and go. Um, and you know, it's uh, you know, I it's that, that, that's what I tell people. There's a, there's an awful lot to turkey hunting, and you know, I, ne- I never had a mentor. I never had anybody to teach me. Um, I never, my first two turkeys, I, the first two turkeys I shot with one shot were the first two dead turkeys I'd ever seen. I'd ever put my hands on. That was before, that was before the internet. And when I got them, I didn't know what to do with them. So I plucked them. I plucked <laughs> two turkeys and Thanksgiving turkey because nobody told me that you should breast them out, maybe fry them. And I, I didn't know. I'd never seen a turkey before. You know, I was, the only turkeys I'd seen were in magazines and on, on hunting videos so it was um so, so without a doubt you know it comes to turkey hunting and any kind of hunting that you mentioned it's experience is your best you know is going to be your best teacher is getting out in the woods absolutely adding that woodsmanship aspect I, you're 100 percent right but uh kind of continuing on the florida aspect of things before we got on the air here you mentioned that florida is one of your favorite places to hunt turkeys uh why is that? And then what makes Florida so different? Well, uh, you know, there's a couple different reasons. Uh, for me, for me, my reasons why I, I really like Osceola's and I like hunting them in South Florida is a few different reasons. Number one is the terrain. I just love the, the scenery down there, the palmettos and the cypress and the live oaks and the uh, and, and, you know, the Spanish moss and all of that. I just, I just, number one, find that it's a really, really pretty environment that to hunt turkeys in. 
Number two, it's the first season that opens, you know, in the lower 48. So after a long, cold winter, and for myself, my, uh, my, in my professional career, uh, traditionally the months of December, January, and February are the busiest months in the hunting industry because that's when all the product for the fall is sold. So for those three months, I'm working as hard as I can to try to make sales goals and sales numbers for the year. So the start of Florida turkey season is kind of the end of my busy sewing season. So it's kind of a time to catch my breath and take a break. And then finally, the actual bird itself. You know, the Osceola typically has longer spurs than its three, four, excuse me, four subspecies cousins throughout the, the United States and Mexico. Um, it's got the longest spurs and it has the darkest wings. And I find their head coloration is a little different. It has a little different color red, a little darker red, if you will, in the head. And the gobble is more of a crack than the thunder of an Eastern. And and finally, if you hunt with decoys, or not even hunt with decoys, is the aggressiveness of these Osceolas. When an Osceola feels like there's another Osceola in territory, there's a reason that they've evolved with those long spurs. Is There's not rocks and there's not sand. And Osceolas, uh, I made a quote one time, I believe, with my my chasing forty nine friends. If you were to put, if you were to put every subspecies in an MMA octagon, and you let those five subspecies, or you even throw in the oscillated, the the six species of turkey, it's not 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 a subspecies. It's not Meliagris scalapavo. It's its own species. But if you were to put the five subspecies, you put a Rio Grande, you're to put a Goulds. You're to put a Merriam's, put an Eastern in a, in a fighting ring with an Osceola. I'd put all my money on that Osceola. I think they're the meanest turkey out there. And, you know, if you do use decoys, it's pretty, I think it's really fun to watch, watch an Osceola come in and just attack them. I mean, they're just mean, brutal, ruthless, and they defend their territory. And they're, uh, to me, that's, that's everything that, that makes Osceola hunting. And then finally, you know, I, some of my best friends, uh, one of my best friends, Mike Tussie, has had an outfitting lodge for, for nearly the last 30 years it's called Osceola Outdoors. And, and finally, which is probably the most important, which, you know, this, this doesn't apply to other people, but the people that I hunt with down in Florida are just some of my best friends. And so it's like a homecoming every spring. You know, some people, I only get to see them one time a year in hunting camp. But that's one of the great things about hunting is we come back every year and catch up on everybody's lives for the last you know, 360 days since the solemn lap. So, um, so it's always just a fun time. And it, without a doubt, those are the reasons that makes South Florida my favorite place to turkey hunt in the world. Uh, and, you know, I, I like to hunt everywhere. I, there's not, there's not a state that I can tell you that I would not go back to. There's some that I probably wouldn't go back to as quick. A state like Rhode Island, that wasn't a, the funnest place I've ever hunted, but you know, there, I'd love to go back to, to all these states that I've gone um, because everyone's unique in its own own manner. That's, that's what's really cool about the wild turkey is they've adapted. You know, the four, the five subspecies have adapted to so many different types of terrain. And where the wild turkey lives in the United States, Mexico, and Canada is some of the prettiest country in the world. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to, you know, look at, you know, you know I've got pictures in my mind from places like, Montana, Hawaii, Nevada, New Mexico, Vermont, West Virginia, South Florida, uh, that are just, you know, breathtaking scenery. And you know, I've been fortunate enough that Turkey Hunting's taken me there and let me see some of some of God's amazing creations. Do you have any uh, particular tactics that you utilize in Florida? I know that uh, Serviceside has quite a few members down there and i've always heard of how difficult florida can be hunting uh i was wondering if you, you have any recommendations or or particular tactics that you use for that part of the country i do uh one thing that i would tell people you know i would say that an osceola's home range is probably one of the smaller home ranges of all the wild turkeys now i don't know the research and so Dr. Mike Chamberlain and Dr. Brett Collier could correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it, it seems to me like an Osceola will typically generally hang out in the same area. And what I've found is that you would think 
when it's uh, when it's 95 degrees, that this, these Osceolas are going to be staying in the shade. And what I have found is that Osceola turkeys, you can be hunting them and be successful any time of the day. So just because they quit the first, you know, the first first hour of the day, breaking daylight, you know, to fly down when they're the most vocal. That's by far where they're the most vocal. And I find that Osceolas will tend not to gobble as much throughout the days and in the evenings than any other subspecies. And so I would say my number one tactic for Osceola hunting is patience and making it through the day. And you know what? You may have to sit on the edge of a cypress swamp at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when it's 95 degrees and the sun's beating down on you. But I can tell you from experience, the turkeys can be there. Um, you know, they don't, they don't go underground in the middle of the day. So, you know, that's my biggest thing. And, and some of the properties that I'm fortunate enough to hunt on in South Florida aren't very big. So I don't have the ability to run and gun and try to strike one up in the middle of the day. You know, it's more sitting and stalking and sometimes deer hunting, which a lot of people don't like to do to turkey hunt. You know, people like to, to listen to shot gobble from a turkey and like to hear them gobbling, like to have one come run in, but that's not always the best way to kill them. And, and I think patience, I think number one, things that'll help you in, in, in Osceola country is patience, followed by thermocell, followed by bottles of cold water, and followed by snake boots. So those are my, those are some of the essentials. Next year, turkey gun and calls is water, thermocell, and snake boots if you're going hunting in Florida. And uh, kind of continue on travel plans. Where else do you have um, travel on your schedule for this year? And what are some important things for someone who's never traveled before to consider when traveling to chase turkeys? Well, I've got, you know, my, my schedule, this is going to be the first year, uh, you know, since 2013 that I wasn't concerned with the chasing the 49 or trying to kill a turkey in every state. So I was really excited this spring to just have time to, to go hang out with friends and family and turkey hunt with them and and i've been invited on some really cool turkey hunts this year but uh, one of the coolest places i'm going is i've killed several i've killed five gould's wild turkeys down in the mountains of the states of chihuahua and agua calientes in mexico and then i've killed five of the species which is down in the yucatan peninsula in the state of campeche but for the first time i'm going rio grande turkey hunting um, down in the state of Sonora, Mexico. So that's going to be a fun trip with four really close friends of mine that uh, we've hunted together all over. And so we're going to try to complete what's called the Mexican Slam. And if I don't get it done that year, this year, it's fine, but that'll be fun. And then I'm getting to go to some camps with just old friends and, and really just hunt, spending time with friends that I'm not going to spend a lot of time with because I was too busy chasing that, that goal of trying to kill one in every state. So I'm going to hunt with friends in Texas, hunt with friends in South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, hunting with friends in Georgia this year, just hunting with friends in Florida, and hunting with friends in Wisconsin. And so literally I'm going back to my ter favorite turkey camps that I may not get to go to every year. And truthfully, when it comes to goals in turkey hunting, uh, my, my goals have been accomplished. So right now my biggest goal is to, you know what? Hunt, only hunting places that have plenty of turkeys that we can hunt and, you know, spend more time with friends. And one of the biggest aspects of, of turkey hunting is spending time in camp with good people. So that's it. It's going to be, you know, good friends, good food, possibly some good drinks, uh, good times, and, and throw in a little turkey hunting. If, if the turkey hunting's great, great. If turkey hunting's not so great, I still have a good time. Grant, get the second part of your question. You mentioned giving some tips and advice on, on being a traveling turkey hunter. Well, I would say the biggest advice is for networking, um, you know, networking and meeting people. And some of the best ways to do this is to become active in an organization like the National Wild Turkey Federation. You know, you'll meet so many people being a part of a local, local chapter. Or, you know, like you do, Grant, go into these calling contests and meeting people. Going to the NWTF National Convention every year in February. You can meet people from every state that are hardcore turkey hunters. And then ultimately the internet. You know, there's limit, limitless resources on 
finding out, you know, public land or finding out private land or, you know, whether, you know, there's a big push right now. A lot of people say, well, I only want to hunt public land. And I said, you know, you know that, that, that's great. That floats some people's boat. For me, I like shooting turkeys on public land. I like shooting turkeys on private land. And quite frankly, the turkey himself doesn't know which one he lives on. And so he's going, the turkey's going to be a turkey. Now, so, you know, I, I just like, you know, hunting all over. And, you know, some of the other advice is to, you know, study the game laws. Some states have quirky game laws. Like, for example, in the state of Texas, when you hunt down there, you have to have your hunter ID card on you at all times. Um, you know, that's the law. And then other states, you got to check in your bird. Some states, you got to have a tag. Like, if you go to New Mexico, you can buy your tag and they're going to mail it to you. But if you don't have your tag on you, you can't hunt. Um, so you got to, they're just different things. So, follow, you know, obviously networking is a big part of it. Uh, number two, you know, finding that, knowing the game laws, knowing the tagging, the licensing, the, the times. Some states, you know, shut down in the middle of the day. You can't turkey in the evening. And then, you know, ultimately just enjoy the ride because the wild turkey, like I said earlier, lives in some of the prettiest country that you'll find in the world. And, you know, when you go to a, an area to turkey hunt, you know, I hate to hear when somebody flies in and they kill a turkey and then they leave, you know, spend some time learning the local culture, eating the local food, you know, take in some, some sites that you may not, you know, get to see while you're turkey hunting and just, you know, enjoy, enjoy the adventure. And, uh, you know, soak it all in, take plenty of pictures. So, Absolutely. And going back to kind of chasing 49, if somebody's looking at doing that, talk about maybe how you plan your hunts or how someone should plan their hunts for that. And are you planning hunts based on time of year or when seasons? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of it because, you know, every state has got a, um, every state's got a different, um, you know, a different season opener. So, you know, obviously states like Florida, um, state like Florida is going to be the first one that opens. So, you know, coordinating and, and just learning, I, that's what's great about the off-season is you can look at it and you look at your free time that you have. And, you know, everybody's got different time. You know, some people can take vacation from work. You know, some people may be retired and can hunt the whole spring. Uh, you know, myself, I probably, in, in accomplishing the goal of killing a turkey in every state, I probably have the least efficient, and the least financially responsible way to do it because most of my hunting, you know, I, I got a full-time job that I can't take off a week or two weeks and go hunt five states in a row. I got to fly in one state. I'm, I get two days to hunt on the weekends and I'm out. So, um, you know, little things like that, um, are, are, are one thing I'd advise. And then the second thing I'd advise is I, I, I there, it seems like there's a trend among younger folks, and when I say younger folks, these are, you know, high school and college age. They want to start doing that. And that's all fine and dandy. But I would highly recommend that somebody without a lot of turkey hunting experience spend a lot of time in your home turf and learn how to turkey hunt. Learn to be a better turkey hunter locally before you start spending the money and going all over the country. And the reason I say that is... The more experience you have and the more turkeys you have under your belt, the more successful you'll be and the less failed attempts you will have at chasing turkeys in different states. Because anytime, anytime anybody that does the, tries the U.S. Super Slam, trying to kill a turkey in every state or even a Grand Slam, you got a lot of time invested. You got a lot of money invested in that and a lot of time. And obviously time is the one thing that everybody's given the same amount. And it's valuable. So, you know, make the most of your time when you're doing it. But, you know, obviously money's involved because, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to buy hunting licenses in 49 different states. It costs a lot of money to fill up your truck, especially with what's going on with gas prices. It costs a lot of money to jump on an airplane. It costs a lot of money to stay in a hotel or, you know, to, to camp a campground or to tow a camper. It, so any way you cut it, I don't care who's done it. You know, there's some people have done it in more cost-effective manners than what I did, but it, it's going to be expensive. So, you know, I, it's definitely it's something fun, and I don't encourage it for everybody. It's not for everybody, and you know, obviously, I, I think number one, if you do have the desire to kill one in every state, 
You know, don't do it for competitive reasons. Don't do it because, oh, somebody did it. I need to do it before they do it. That's, you know, that, I don't like calling turkey hunting or any kind of hunting a sport because there's it's not a competition. You know, it's not a it's not a competition. It's more of an art than it is a sport. You know, you're competing one on one against a wild turkey, but it's it's not a it's not a sport. You know, nobody wins or loses. Um, it's 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 all about the time spent in the outdoors. So, you know, I think my biggest thing is studying the seasons, finding out when they are, networking, and then finally, make sure you got some experience before you before you're going to new crazy states and spending a lot of money. Um, you know, before you've got a little experience under your belt on the local birds. Uh, I got a question for you, uh, Jason. Do you like a particular part of the season? So let's say pre-peak uh, breeding, peak breeding, or maybe even post-peak. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to answer this question two different ways. So ultimately, my favorite time to turkey hunt is the opening day of any season. The reason that is is because the, the easiest turkeys to kill are unpressured turkeys. The more pressure that a turkey experienced throughout the season, I don't care what subspecies you're hunting or where you're hunting. If these turkeys are going to be hunted, before you get there, they're going to be tough. And you can't kill a turkey that's already been shot. So having the, the, the highest percentage I've found is always at the beginning of the season. Now, secondly, the some of the best times I've found is in areas that whether the pressure or unpressured is late in the season after the hens. And I'll say it, I'll call it, you know, post breeding after the hens have been bred and the hens are going to the nest. Well, the gobblers don't quite understand that they're still looking for love, even though the hens have been bred and they're spending time laying on the nest. That's the best time you can find a gobbler alone and call him up when he's looking for love. So that's kind of a two part question because the opening day of the season falls Sometimes it's not the best hunting. Like, for example, I went to Texas in the opener of their southern zone last year, and I had a really hard time calling up turkeys because they weren't ready yet. Um, you know, it, would, it was going to get better a few weeks later. So, you know, that's a tough. But those turkeys were unpressured. So I would rather hunt early season unpressured turkeys than hunt mid-season or late-season pressured turkeys. But, you know, ultimately – the best time to go turkey hunting is when you can. So that's the third equation. So you certainly aren't going to kill them sitting on the couch or in the office. So if you can afford to get time off to hunt or if you've got a weekend, you know what, make the most of it. And, you know, you got, I think there's what 57 weekends out of the year. And out of those, there's only about 12 of them that you can turkey hunt. So make the most of it. And that that's my thing is, I've missed out on a lot of social fun activities like, you know, some dating in the springtime or going to events or spring football games or baseball games. You know what? I've, I've missed out on a lot of that just because the, my weekends in March, April, and May are extremely valuable to me because that's the time I can spend in the turkey woods. Yeah, 100%. You miss out. Tur true hardcore turkey hunters miss out on a lot of things come springtime because they're only one thing their mind's focused on. And uh, kind of transition to gear and nomad. Um, what gear do you always take with you, and what do you consider that you are essentials when traveling for an out-of-state hunt? That somebody needs to have in their truck or on their suitcase on an airplane. Oh, say, say that again. Um, kind of transitioning to gear. What gear do you always take with you on an out-of-state hunt, or somebody should be essentials when packing in your truck or a suitcase for an airplane trip? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off. You know, I take my turkey vest, and my turkey vest changes very little from from hunting one subspecies to the other. So, you know, having my turkey vest, number one. Number two is packing lightweight camouflage. Because if you're doing a lot of hunting, it doesn't matter where you're going, you're going to be doing a lot of walking, a lot of sweating. Number three, no matter where I go, I try to pack a sweatshirt, check the weather before I go. Some places, you know, you might be planning to hunt in Michigan during the month of May, and it's 20 degrees, and it's going to be cold. So that's important. Um, also, you know, packing, uh, you obviously have to have your ammunition. You have to have your 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 gun if you're gun hunting. You have to have a hard case if you're flying with TSA-approved locks. 
Um, and then, you know, other than that, I carry my calls. And when I'm flying, I like to keep my calls in a bag and carry it with me on the plane because calls tend to get crushed a lot. But also, if I'm flying somewhere, I always take a small cooler with me so I can bring back turkey meat on the airplane with me and take Ziploc bags so I can carry back the fans and the uh, the fans, the beards, the spurs when I come back. And, uh, you know, those are, those are some of the things that I'll, I'll pack on a trip every time. Yeah, that's good what you said there about traveling. I hadn't thought about taking the extra essentials to be able to get your turkey back with you on the plane because that's always something to consider. Hopefully you have a successful hunt. Yep. And a ton of talk the new turkey gear that Nomad has hit in the market. I know you got the bull lounger, and I'm sure you want to talk about that and some real-world hunting scenarios it comes with, and then anything else you all have came out with this year. Yeah, so uh, a couple different things. We've got – the, the newest thing is the bull lounger, which is a fantastic turkey vest, which I'm, I've become a big fan of. You know, I got to hunt out of it this weekend, hunted hard. Man, it's just, it's just an absolute great vest. It has an internal frame, so the, the it's very lightweight. It only weighs six pounds, the entire vest, whereas opposed to a comfortable turkey chair, weighs about eight pounds. And it's as comfortable as, you know, some of the really good turkey chairs on the market. Um, and that thing, it's, it's got a more durable fabric than we've ever used. And it's just an all around great. It features 23, uh, general and, uh, specialized pockets for box call, friction call, thermocell, uh, mouth calls, has D, D loops to, to hang stuff on, a big roomy game bag. But the number one selling feature is the internal frame. And just sitting down, you can sit in comfort for hours without a treat. Number two is a new product we have called a, 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 a Nomad Bino Harness, and it is a binocular carrying case that rests on your chest, and we've sold additional attachments to make it almost like a turkey hunter's chest pack. We're, we've sold, sold an additional box call pocket, a thermosel pocket, a friction call pocket, and a rangefinder pocket. So if you're a running gun hunter and you want to carry the essentials for running and gunning, your binos, a box call, a thermocell, a friction call, and a range finder, you've got all that on, in one small convenient area uh, chest pack. If you don't want to carry around a, you know, say a 10 pound turkey vest when you've got your turkey vest loaded. Then finally, we got a new pant out called the Nomad Mesh Light Pant, which is a super lightweight pant, very high performance fabric, and it features laser perforation vented holes in it. Super, super lightweight, and it's going to be one of those kind of pants you want to wear when it gets in the hot, the hottest part of the season, which is, you know, late when it gets hot in April and May, and then it's going to transition into the best dove hunting pant that you've ever worn on those hot, on those hot Labor Day weekend days. So, uh, you know, that's some of the some of the things we have coming. So, and then to go off that, kind of talk about the stuff that y'all have. I know Nomad is a big turkey hunting focused company. What are some of the staple offers that y'all had in years past and continue to offer this year? Someone can look into person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, we probably are the market share leader in turkey best. We've got, I just I already mentioned the bull lounger, which is going to be kind of our most upper end vest, but we also have three other vests at, at, at more reasonable price points. We have the pursuit convertible, which is our, lowest price turkey vest we have the mg turkey vest which we've had for years and finally the killing time turkey vest and you can find all those and check out all the features on those on nomadoutdoor.com and then secondly our pursuit series of long sleeve hooded and quarters at t-shirts are fantastic for when it's hot we have various fleeces called we call the utility fleece we also have a long neck fleece for those chillier mornings but it's down in the 30s and 40s and then finally, pants. We offer a great stretch light pant. We offer a pursuit pant, which is going to be our most durable pant and our lowest price pant. And then finally, we've got a really good leafy suit. We offer a leafy quarter zip, and we offer a pair of leafy pants that are fabulous. I wore the leafy pants this weekend. But ultimately, um, another thing, that uh, one thing I forgot to mention, which is new, or it's not really new, but we, we brought back, is in the camo pattern department. Some of the camo patterns we offer in our springtime collection is number one, uh, mossy oak bottomland. We also have mossy oak shadow leaf, which is an exclusive pattern to Nomad, which has a lot of green in it. 
We brought back this year by popular demand. We get away with it one year, and the consumers asked for it back. Is mossy oak greenleaf, which is my favorite spring pattern. Now that's only available through independent dealers. So you'll have to find your local independent retailer that carries Nomad and see if they've got greenleaf. And if they don't have it, they can certainly get it. So we're not offering that on NomadOutdoor.com. It's just offered it some of the better turkey hunting retailers in the country. And then finally, we also offer from our friends in Georgia, we offer Real Tree Timber, which is their their top selling turkey pattern also. So we got a lot of staples in the Nomad side, and we've built a, you know, the team that we've got on the production side of it are fantastic. So we got a lot, a lot of great products. Sounds good. I kind of want to transition a little bit to firearms, and I know you have a pretty vast firearm collection with your turkey guns, and maybe to stay on the top of camo, discuss kind of your turkey gun collection and all the different patterns you've got shotguns in. Well, I've got a lot of turkey guns. I've been collecting them for probably 20 years now, and uh, and I've I've got quite a few. So, first I started collecting some of the the old school, as a lot of people refer to them, the old school Remingtons. And what that means, those were Remington 870s, 1187s, and SP10s made in the in the early 90s that feature the original bottomland in a in a uh, horizontal pattern as well as as green leaf in a horizontal pattern. Um, and then I collect a lot of the old NWTF turkey guns, the Winchester 1300s, which had a pretty laminate stock and had really nice uh, turkey engraving on it are some of my favorites. And then gotten on a Benelli kick, the 20 gauge M1s and M2s are great turkey guns that I'm a big fan of. And then also uh, there's a new up and coming brand out there that I've got a 12 gauge in. It's one of my favorite guns I've ever shot killed nine turkeys with it last year made by a, tur a company that imports guns out of turkey called retay and um, they are a inertia operated semi-automatic shotgun and they are just they pattern just fantastic so that's one of my new favorite turkey guns and then this weekend i got to hunt with a new gun made by mossberg they've got a new great turkey gun out called the 940 and it features a cutaway in, in the receiver a cutaway notch so you can take that piece off and put a red dot system in the gun but you can still maintain and look at your bead if you have a red dot malfunction which i have had that happen multiple times when i was aiming on a turkey either the red dot quit working or the red dot got stuck on full brightness which caused me a turkey in arizona a couple years ago so that's a really cool feature and the gun also features a short 18 and a half inch barrel which i really like a short barrel and it features it's the first gun since 1996 that's dipped in my favorite camo pattern which is mossy oak green leaf so got a lot of different turkey guns i like shooting them all i've got turkey guns and that range from 410 to 28 gauge to 20 gauge to 16 gauge to 12 gauge to 10 gauge to even a turkey hunt muzzleloader so i collect them all i like them and i, I like it as they say, variety is the spice of life. So I like shooting a lot of different, a lot of different guns. And I think you've uh, covered a grand slam with every gauge and weapon you just went over, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah I have. Well, not not every one of them. I'm not taking a grand slam with a crossbow or handgun or an air gun, but those are some I may pursue. But you know, the biggest ones are the uh, was I back in 2016. I finished the grand slam with a 28 gauge and a 410. And so I, I finished them with every American gauge. The, like I mentioned, the 10 gauge, 12 gauge, 16 gauge, 20 gauge, 410, 28 gauge, muzzleloader, and a and an archery slam. And it's just uh, how I got started was I shot my first turkey with a bow, and I enjoyed it so much. I said, well, I might as well go get a grand slam with a bow. And about that same time, I won a muzzleloader at an NWTF bank. And I said, well, I might as well try to get a muzzleloader slam. And that led to... Well, I might as well try to get a 20-gauge slam. And that led to, man, I, oh, a 16-gauge would be cool. So well, that led me into the 16-gauge slam, led me into uh, discovering TSS and hand-loading TSS before it was on the market. So my turkey hunting gun collection and turkey gun patterning and loading, hand-loading my own shot shells, uh, which came about when TSS got introduced to the hand-loading uh, community, has become almost a sub hobby, you know, in my big, big hobby of turkey hunting. So some people also collect box calls. I don't build calls yet, but 
that might be a sub hobby that it transitions to one day. So anyhow, just lots of different, uh, lots of different fun things. You kind of just hit on patterning a little bit. And I know some people I hunt with don't really pattern their guns or emphasize on it. Kind of want to get you to talk about the importance of patterning your shotguns and the evolution kind of red dot sights and chokes and TSS shot and everything we have in the world of turkey weaponry these days. Yeah, absolutely. So patterning your turkey gun is essential. And, you know, that be, that be, that became a thing about the time that when turkey guns hit the market, you know, a shorter barrel gun that, that had a removable choke tube that may had some kind of sighting system. And why patterning a turkey gun is important for various reasons. It, number one, lets you know what the effective range of that particular shotgun is, so you don't shoot one too far. And then number two, patterning is, is very much like sighting in a rifle. Um, just because the gun you bought brand brand new from uh, from a store is just because that turkey gun has a straight barrel is mean that where you aim that gun is where the the, the core of that pattern is going to go. So finding out it's important to pattern number one to realize what your maximum distance is, and number two to make sure that your point of aim matches your point of impact. And that's where red dots come in. If your gun, for example, I have one particular turkey gun I love, but it shoots 11 and a half inches low. So I have to adjust that with a red dot sight so that I use the red dot to hit where, you know, to be able to point the gun and hit where I'm aiming. Uh, and then secondly, as far as patterning is concerned, one thing then TSS came out, became very popular, was counting the number of pellets in a 10-inch circle. And somebody at some time had once said to effectively kill a turkey 10 times out of 10, you need at least 100 pellets in a 10-inch circle. And, you know, when, when I was growing up, and some people still do this, they buy turkey targets from, say, a company like Primos or Hunter Specialty or print them off for NWTF. And they're like, well, if you get 10 pellets in the head and neck, then that turkey's going to be dead. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, a shotgun doesn't shoot the pellets exactly the same way every time. So... Knowing how many pellets are in a 10-inch circle gives you a lot more uh, accurate idea. And you want to aim at whatever your effective range is, is to have 100 pellets in a 10-inch circle. And one way to do that is to shoot your gun at 40 yards. 40 yards is, an all a, great, is a great all-around patterning distance. And if you shoot your gun at 40 yards with tungsten super shot, and you count those pellets in a 10-inch circle, and it doesn't have to be the, the best 10-inch circle, that, that, that means the the majority of the pellets, the highest percentage of the pellets in one 10-inch circle, it might be a little high, might be a little low, might be a little left, or might be a little right, but counting that number and you come up with a number, and then you multiply that number by 0.7, which is 70% of that pattern, and that ought to tell you approximately what that gun's going to do at 50 yards. And then you multiply it again times 0.7, it's going to tell you what you can do at 60 yards. Now, I'm not advocating shooting it crazy long distances because I have some turkey guns that in theory could be 80 or 90 yard turkey guns. That doesn't mean I'm going to shoot a turkey at 80 or 90 yards, but the more pellets you have in a 10 inch circle, the more effective and cleaner and ethical that kill is going to be. And that's what you want to do is maximize that 10 inch circle. So that when that turkey's head in a 10 inch circle, if you've got at least hundred pellets and your pellets can, can get through about an inch and a half of ballistic gel, at that distance, based on their trajectory and based on the density of the pellet, it's going gonna, it's gonna to let you know what your maximum distance is. And with that being said, it's also important to pattern your turkey gun at close distance. I've missed a lot more turkeys inside 15 yards than I have missed at 40 yards plus. So knowing where your gun shoots up close, knowing what your effective distance is, you know, gives you the confidence that if you do, as I did in Florida yesterday, misjudge the distance on a turkey that you know you still have the ability to to kill one ethically past what you know the traditional range of 30 40 yards that was you know the traditional maximum distance in the past and you know turkey hunting is a close-up sport and you do every you, you'd love to be able to shoot every turkey at 20 yards but sometimes that doesn't happen how much uh how much do you get into chokes or are you primarily just patterning your shotguns for uh, the shell? No, absolutely. I, aftermarket choke tubes are essential. And 
you know, you you don't need an aftermarket choke tip, especially when you're shooting tungsten super shot. It, you know, you can kill turkeys, and I have killed turkeys using tungsten super shot out of a modified choke or just a basic full choke. But to get the maximum efficiency out of your turkey gun, you're going to need an after aftermarket choke tube. And I, I have no affiliation with choke tube companies, but some of my favorite brands are Some Toy, uh, based out of Georgia. Indian Creek, based out of Missouri. Um, Comp and Choke makes great choke tubes. Jibs makes great choke tubes. Uh, the one I was shooting this weekend was a factory choke tube that came with a gun made by True Glow. So, you know, ultimately, it, it, you know, different brands, you know, shoot tungsten super shot or lead or, you know, whatever you're, you're wanting to shoot the turkeys differently. And, you know, doing a little research on the Internet, you can typically find in a lot of the forums, and one of my favorite forums is, is uh, gobblernation.com, and you can see what other guys, what kind of patterns they get before you go out and spend the money and start testing these choke tubes. So. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, setting up your arrow for your bow. Uh, You've got to spend a little bit of money to find out which one fits your bow, which round, which choke tube fits your Mary's up with your shotgun. Exactly. Uh, I guess kind of a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Uh, what are your thoughts on the growth of, I guess, hunting technology as far as it is incorporated into turkey hunting? And where do you see that potentially going in the next like 10 to 15 years? So I guess kind of let me back up here a little bit. Uh, I think I, I think I understand the question loud and clear. I'll let you take it away then. Well, so when I first started turkey hunting, we did not have the technology that we have now. And when I say technology, we've learned things in the hunting industry to sell more product and to make you more effective in the field. And I'm going to give you, you know, an example of some of those. Number one is decoys. Decoys are way better right now. 2022 than they were back in 1995. Number two, the use of pop-up blinds. We didn't know in 1995 you could essentially sit in a tent and kill turkeys, and they wouldn't. It wouldn't bother. Number three, tungsten super shot has improved the game tremendously. Uh, you know, number four, having these red dot optics and help you be more steady. Aftermarket choke tubes. Now, some of these things make turkey hunting a lot more ethical and effective meaning Larry for example tungsten super shot you know you if you misjudge your range you have a lot better chance of making an ethical kill for that turkey than you do with say copper plated sixes that were the number were all the rave back in 1995 so I think that technology is good you know based on based on ethics now things like fanning um, the use of a turkey's tail fan to crawl up on a turkey, which is sometimes known as reaping, is is a new technology. It's probably not a new technology. You know, the Native Americans probably did that. Now, it's still legal. And me as a person and me on behalf of our company, we support all legal means of legal hunting. So if it's legal and you want to do it, then by all means do it. But I think that turkey hunting is a lot easier in 2022 than it was at the peak of our eastern wild turkey populations in the mid-90s. Uh, turkey hunters, it's, it's easier to kill a turkey when you sit in a chupa plot in a pop-up blind with a full-strut decoy shooting TSS than it was in 1995 when you're sitting in, a, in the forest up against a tree shooting lead with an old ugly-looking decoy you know, on the ground than, than anything. So... Yes, I think technology has improved things to make us more effective, to more, have more ethical kills. But with that being said, uh, you know, people draw the line in their own personal convictions on what they think is fair chase and not. And I'm not going to get into that. Um, I, I've killed turkeys out of blinds. I've killed turkeys with fans. I've killed turkeys with full strut decoys. I've done all of that. Now, do I prefer that method of hunting this day and age? No, I don't. You know, I prefer to be on the ground. I prefer to not use a fan. I prefer to getting in a turkey at 20 yards and not even having a decoy. Um, but the technology's out there. And, you know, especially I think that technology's really good 
for introducing new people to sports such as youth and women and, you know, maybe handicapped hunters. I think that's very good. And I definitely think that all that new technology has its place in the sport, but turkey hunters like tradition. And, you know, turkey hunting is a sport slash art. You know, I shouldn't call it a sport because it's not a competition, but as an art, it's not that old of a, a tradition. You know, people really didn't get into springtime turkey hunting until the 70s, 80s, 90s. So that's only 50 years. So it's not like we've been doing this in this country for 200 years. So, you know, I think I think there's a lot of people that hate this new tech. There is a lot of people that hate this new technology and they're very, very vocal about it on social media. But, you know, in my opinion, I think with hunters, there's a lot of people that want to ban all types of hunting. And so getting into the nitpicky, this, that, the other, I, I don't think that, that hunting, that some of this new technology is good to the eye in the eye of a non-hunter. Um, but with that Agreed. being said, I really don't like the hunting community arguing amongst itself. I'd rather see the hunting community, you know, making a stance on ethical hunting and why it's good for conservation to people that don't hunt. So I think I think hunters spend an awful lot of times argue. I think we spend a lot of time arguing amongst ourselves about a style or way of hunting, whereas we ought to look at the big picture and do be be more worried about the big picture and what it's going to take to continue our our hunting traditions whether that's turkey hunting or any other kind of hunting, you know, in the next 10, 25, 50, 100 years from now when we're long gone. So well, that's kind of where I stand. I think, I think I think your question, I think I know that's what, what you were leaning towards, I believe. No, 100%. Uh, that was definitely where I was leaning with that question. And then I guess just to follow up with that. So, I, and again, piggybacking off with what you said, we're, we're, we too oftentimes as hunters get caught up fighting amongst each other and forgetting about the good fight and the overall aspect of just protecting hunting in general. But I think one of the other things, and I, I think it's really missed by hunters is that we don't give our state agencies enough credit that they're managing the, the resource properly. So for example, they're keeping track of harvest rates. Uh, they're keeping track of estimated populations. And when they see technology come into the hunting space and harvest rates go up, they're going to reduce uh, maybe bag limits, something like that. So uh, it, 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 it's kind of like a six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. I don't think that they're going to necessarily take away your hunting rights, that you're not going to be able to turkey hunt. But... Uh, they're going to protect the resource because that's what they're there to do. And, and so many people get in fights about like the technology aspect of things that it's inevitable. I mean, the human race is going to evolve and, and create newer things, more efficient things. And it's, it's just a part of hunting. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's, there, you know, amongst, you know, not really turkey hunting, but amongst the Western hunting, you know, there's certain States banning the use of trail cameras. Mm -hmm. in some states and you know some states like colorado you can't use optics on your muzzle loader and things like that and so every state is different in that but but yes technology is going to improve and like you said as the human race we are going to add technology and there are some innovators in the hunting world uh you know i'd like to i'd like to think that the company i work for we're very innovative uh we come up with new products to make make your hunt more enjoyable and easier and ultimately, that helps us sell more product and generate more revenue. So that's never going to end. But, you know, ultimately, it's up to the sportsmen to draw the line where they feel like the line needs to be drawn and up to state agencies to create these laws when new technology comes out. So in my opinion, you know what? If it's legal in your state, you've got every right to do it. That doesn't mean that I'm going to do it. Um, you know, I was turkey hunting in Florida. You can use a rifle in Florida. Shoot one with a rifle. I got killed one two days ago with a rifle, but to me, that's not sporting. It's legal. And you know, if somebody else does it, that's their prerogative. And I'm not going to look down on them because of, I may not, I may not, uh, you know, I may not approve of it, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, if it's legal and you're a hunter and you know, you're doing things by the book and you're legal, then and you, that, that's your choice. Uh, doesn't mean that I want to do that or doesn't mean that everybody does, but, I'm certainly not going to chastise that person in particular in front of non-hunters or in front of anti-hunters because, you know, the fighting amongst ourselves is what's one of our biggest problem 
in promoting conservation and and how hunting is conservation. You're 100 percent exactly right. You're 100 percent exactly right. Uh, well, uh, Jason, we are about at an hour, and uh, we know that you're a busy guy. Grant, did you have any final questions or anything that we discussed that you wanted to kind of follow up on? Okay. Um, Jason, do you want do you want to let everybody know our audience know where they can find your products, where they can find more about Nomad and Hook Outdoors? Uh, do the plug. YouTube, you name it. But our our websites where you can actually buy product is www.nomadoutdoor.com for our hunting brand, which is Nomad. You can check out all the new turkey hunt product I talked about. In addition, we are hookgear.com. That's spelled H-U-K-G-E-A-R.com. That's our fishing brand hook. And also, you can find we're in we're in all the best retailers nationwide. The the hunting and fishing retailers, ranging from your Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's to your Dick Sporting Goods to Academy Sports on the fishing side, West Marine to Midway USA to Rogers Sporting Goods to Molly's Place in Maryland to Woods and Water in Tuscaloosa to Kevin's Kevin's Outdoors down in Tallahassee and Thomasville. We're all over the place. We're in all 50 states. We've got a lot of great retail partners on the independent side as well as the big box side that you can find Hooker Nomad and if your local sporting goods store doesn't have it, you can certainly ask for it, or you can check us out on our websites, uh, and we're in plenty of places online as well. Excellent. And I'll make sure I have all the the links for your websites, the YouTube channel, and the rest of social media in the show notes. Jason uh, and Grant, I both really appreciate you guys hopping on. There was a ton of knowledge dropped in this podcast. I think our audience is really going to like it. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I, sir, I always enjoy getting on the telephone and talking to y'all. And as y'all can tell, I'm 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 very long-winded. And if y'all want to talk about turkey hunting, turkey guns, and conservation, I can talk all day long about it. So I appreciate y'all. Appreciate you as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Whitetail Theories podcast. All righty, y'all take care. <laughs>